morning, church. It is good to be with you here. My cousins live in New York City. They've lived there for about, I think, going on almost 10 years now. And myself, I used to live in a city, but now we sort of live in a much smaller community. And when I get together with my cousins, we talk about the disparities between living in the cosmopolitan lifestyle versus the suburban farm lifestyle, all that stuff. I tell her about how beautiful the hill country is and how nothing compares to it. And she tells me about something that you develop when you live in a city long enough. And she says you call it the city stare. And it's this ability, she says, that when you are surrounded by so many people, she says you can see some pretty depressing things. She says she probably encounters at least, she encounters at least 15 panhandlers a day, several mentally ill people. And she says that if you live in a space long enough like that, you sort of have to focus your vision. Because you've got to go to work, and you've got to pay your taxes, and you've got to do your job. And so she says she is able to walk down the street in a, town of mil- or in a city of millions of people and not even see anybody the city stare. And so it is tough to see certain people. And seeing today's text, more importantly, seeing the widow, the first conclusion I see is this. Jesus never took an economics class. He never did. And Jesus has probably never seen the Notre Dame Cathedral and its beauty and its stained glass and the pure spectacle of it all. And how he probably didn't see how much money and time and donations and effort it went into building such a place. What I see is that logically, mathematically, financially, his evaluation of our scripture today and what he sees with the widow, it doesn't make sense at all. This poor widow, she puts in two leptin. That coin is smaller than your fingertip. And as our text says today, it weighs, or it costs about a few cents. In reality, two leptin is worth a penny. This woman puts a penny into the treasury. And so clearly, right, Jesus is impractical in his evaluation of the scene, right? This widow's contribution, it must just be a feel-good moment. Well, don't get me wrong. This widow, right, she can still give those pennies. We just won't ask her to be on any committees. Now, Herod, Herod is the guy that we should be looking out for. He's the guy with serious coffers. Did you know at just the time, right before Jesus, uh, Herod, Herod the Great and his sons, they owned roughly 26 million acres of land around Jerusalem in Israel. The palace that he lived in and built, called the Herodium, after his own name, was at the time the largest palace in the entire world. And the temple, the temple where our text takes place today, in Mark 13.1, the verse right after our story today, the disciples, they say this, they say, look, look what massive stones What magnificent buildings. Herod and his sons, 
they're the ones you want in your church, right? They're the real go-getters and the doers and the builders. They're the impressive members. And that is why the Pharisees and the scribes look to them and surround themselves around them. Jesus sees differently. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of her wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. We are in the middle of a stewardship campaign, our money story, where we are talking about accumulating pledges, adjusting our expenses. And last week, Jim Wilhite was up here, and he gave an address, the financial state of the church. And I want to pause and thank, thank the spirit of that message, because it gives us transparency. I will admit, when I hear budget, my brain kind of floats away. But I love that we as a community are able to sit in this space, and even in the midst of worship, have such a discussion. It's not a closed-door conversation. I love that. But the reality of it is that we are still in the middle of a stewardship campaign, seeking, seeking more. And we are here today with a text that seemingly puts a whole wrench into those plans. For we are given Jesus' exact words on tithing and donations and the value of it all. And so for churches looking for big budgets, well, this one really doesn't help our case. So what most pastors will do with this passage is it's an age-old interpretation. It's very effective, and it doesn't ruffle a feather. It's awesome. Looking, so the pastor reads the story and says something like, Following the example of the widow's beautiful act of sacrifice, we too are called to give sacrificially. Boom, piece of cake, right? Let's pull out those offering plates and see some sacrifice. But truly today, I tell you, I am in trouble. And I am in trouble because our text includes verses 38 through 40 as well. Watch out. For teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These will be punished most severely. Including this changes the whole dynamic of the widow's offering. She is now placed, and her, her solitary offering now becomes intertwined into a much larger narrative that is taking place around her in our text today. When you hear the word widow in the Bible, it's a very important symbol. Right? You can think of the widow as Zarephath, that's a classic one. Um, but the term widow is often in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. It's grouped with orphans. And so you'll see texts like this. Father of the fatherless, mother to the motherless, and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 68. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, or the poor. 
And let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Zechariah 7. And finally, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. And keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's James 1. So in the Bible, the orphan and the widow, they become a very important symbol at any time and at any period, representing the most vulnerable in any society. They are the most vulnerable. And so in our particular case, the widow, her status is often tentative. Because we know back then it was much more of a patriarchal-dominated society. And so her status and protection depended all on the man. And once that person is gone, so is the legal, financial, social, spiritual. All of those protections are gone for this woman. But not only is this woman defenseless in all of those states, we are also told that she is poor. This woman makes her invisible to the religious, the legal, the political, and the social eyes of society. Daily, this is a woman who walks unseen. And so this text is doing something pretty tricky between the lines. Jesus is definitely commending the widow, but he's also doing something else. He's trying to show his disciples something, a vision. And he's trying to help them reimagine their task. The text is showing us today that our duty as Christians extends. It goes further than simple sacrificial giving and donations. And that it should always go to the heart of the matter. Our real task today is to see the kingdom where this widow's act makes sense. And our duty is to bring about a kingdom and to foster a social order where this reckless act of faith, it actually makes sense. We are called to create a society where it is easier to be good. And so today's text is not just a lesson on sacrifice, but it is a lesson in Christian economics. And this economics is not just a position. It's not just a philosophical ideal or a politic amongst politics. It's a journey. It is a journey towards this kingdom. And it is a kingdom where there is no poverty and where no one goes unseen. And so we must understand something very important right there. The opposite of poverty is not plenty. The opposite of poverty is not having more things. And we know this because poverty and plenty, those two things exist all the time in the same spaces. Drive on Milam across Main Street and go by the mobile homes and then walk a couple blocks over and see those multi-million dollar Airbnb properties, right? Poverty and plenty, those things exist within the same area code. And so the opposite of poverty is not necessarily plenty. For us, 
The opposite of poverty is community. The opposite of poverty is friendship. The, it is going into those spaces and those places. It is meeting people in their struggles. It is becoming the advocate. It is using your status, your wealth, your privilege, your blessings to bless others. And that's the tension, right? That is the tension of living as a Christian in such a world. And that is the drama. And ultimately, it's very tough. And it's tough because the world is illogical in that way. The world likes to imagine a place where it is easier to be bad. Where it is more beneficial to be ruthless in your business exchanges or dominating in your particular field. Where it is appropriate to devour widows and abandon orphans. Where the churn of life, it separates us and those who aren't afraid to get their hands a little dirtier, they're the ones who rise to the top. Such a world cannot see God's vision. It definitely cannot comprehend Jesus' words, and it for sure has no idea what to make of the widow's offering. And so this text is beautiful. And what the woman does is beautiful, but we must not forget this. That the underpinning story behind this woman's sacrifice is that we are still witnessing a widow being devoured. We are witnessing a woman who in her great faith believed in a system that would take everything from her for its own glory. Look no further than the scribes. See how they dress, how they act, who they surround themselves with. And so whereas the first part of this text is about sacrifice, the other side of this text is about justice. That any form of ostentatious or hypocritical religion, that is Jesus' real target here today. And the proper example that we should follow, whether we are a new member or third-generation Methodist, is this. The church is called at all times to be a protector of widows. We are called to be a mother to the motherless, a father to the fatherless, to champion causes of the poor, to seek the unseen and welcome them. And what a challenging task that is. James says the world can pollute us very quickly, and very often I get the city stare, too. I can turn those blinders on really quick when I want. And I fail more often than I'd like to succeed. And so church, I give you this task today. Don't give this church a penny if we are in the business of devouring widows. But if you believe our church to be a church where we are seeking justice, where we are a community that has joined together trying to reimagine this kingdom. Well then, won't you join in friendship with us? In whatever ways you are blessed with. And if that is money, let it be so. I would much prefer your time and talents. So even in the midst of this harsh 
reality that our text is kind of taking place in today. As we know, Jesus in all things gives gospel. He gives good news. And I believe that is why he shines a light on this widow. And so I'll end with this. We know this woman is being oppressed in the full sense of the word. And that the world will continue to do what it does best. And yet, here in Mark, even though we are still surrounded by the hypocrisy, the injustice, the vipers, the vitriol, we are shown, even in the midst of all that, a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And Jesus, he points to it like a lamp and he says, look, right there. There it is. It's a flash of brilliance. It's a revelation. It's a moment of the inbreaking where the kingdom of God is made manifest in flesh and action. And it doesn't require large sums of money or long prayers. This risky, effusive, reckless love of God, it is demonstrated by a woman whose circumstances appear to be so restricted to restrict any kind of giving, any kind of generosity, and yet she still gives. Such reckless love sounds a lot like Jesus to me. And I believe Paul sees that too, and he says in Romans, he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. This reckless widow's moment is indeed a great gospel teacher for us today. And that is why Jesus, I believe Jesus stops. He stops his disciples. He makes them sit down on the other side of the temple and he says, right there, look. Do not listen to the well-crafted words of the Pharisees. Do not marvel at the masonry around you. Focus your vision and see the wonderful, beautiful, invisible kingdom that is coming. It's a kingdom built on pennies. Amen.